Hello, my name is Vivian Parry. I'm a writer and broadcaster with a special interest in rare disease. And this podcast, the second in the Hyperpara Exchange series, aims to help endocrinologists and patients to understand the key issues and challenges of the rare endocrine disease, hypoparathyroidism, from each other's points of view. And that's something that's especially important with a rare disease. Hypoparathyroidism, or hyperpara for short, is a critical imbalance of minerals in the body caused by the absence of, or damage to, the parathyroid glands in the neck. In our first podcast, we looked at the condition in detail and its impact in terms of symptoms, both physical and mental. But in this podcast, we're going to take a deeper dive into how those symptoms impact the quality of life of people living with a chronic form of the disease, what this means for their day-to-day lives and the sort of coping mechanisms they develop. This podcast was produced and funded by Takeda and is available to the public for information purposes only. It should not be used for diagnosis or treating health problems or disease. It's not intended to substitute for consultation with a healthcare provider. So please consult your healthcare provider for further advice. The impact of the symptoms of hyperpara described in this podcast are based on a single person's experience and perspective of living with the condition, described in their own words. Not all people living with the condition will experience the same symptoms. Having said all that, let's plunge right in and welcome our two guests today, disease expert Professor Heidi Sigelkoff and Natalie, a patient living with chronic hyperparathyroidism since being diagnosed in 2008. Professor Sigelko, can you just remind us what hyperparathyroidism is? In hyperparathyroidism, the parathyroid glands don't work anymore properly. Parathyroid hormone levels are low, which is followed by low calcium and high phosphate levels. This might be followed very often by severe clinical or physical symptoms. Hyperparathyroidism is very often seen as a uh, following neck surgery, for example, thyroid or parathyroid surgery. It is not very clear how the incidence is, but what we know, for example, from Danish data is that that like 22 patients per 100,000 people are affected with post-surgical hyperparathyroidism. There are also other forms of hypopara, for example, autoimmune, genetic or idiopathic, but they are even more rare. What is also important is that um, hyperparathyroidism is also as a sh- in a short form after the operation of the thyroid, for example, for some days or weeks. We talk about a chronic disease after six months or even longer time. We learned that there are long-term complications and there are complications with impact on the daily life of the patient, also on their work situation. The symptoms include emotional, physical and also cognitive symptoms. Let's look first at the physical impact of hyperpara. What are the most likely physical symptoms for patients with a chronic form of the condition? Most of the patients experience what we, what we call parathesia, that it's like tingling in the hands and feet and also in the face. This most of the people have. But there are a number of other symptoms. For example, there's pain, pain in extremities and the, in the back, also in bone and joints. Um, other uh, clinical symptoms are, for example, um, the heaviness in limbs, uh, tiredness, 
they ha might have also cognitive uh, symptoms like lack of concentration, um, uh, thinking is slower. Um, it is also re re very often referred as brain fog. Very often, as our experience is that patients with hyperparathyroidism, they have a number of complaints which they don't realize that this is a, a consequence of their disease. Natalie, that's an enormous range of symptoms. But what's the one that you personally struggle with most when you're going about your daily life? When going about my daily life, the symptom that is always there at every moment of the day is the tiredness. I wake up tired and I finish the day exhausted, where it feels like it's 3 a.m. when it's actually only 9 p.m. The tiredness at the start of the day is not like sleepy tired. It's uh, very much like having low blood pressure or like being at high altitude where everything seems difficult as it feels um, like I have this huge weight that is pulling me in the opposite direction. Everything requires an effort. Walking 300 meters feels like I need to walk three kilometers. Standing feels like I have this huge weight pulling me towards the ground and I need to sit um, very often. When I talk, um, this tires me as my brain starts um, after a while to no longer be able to respond properly. Professor Sigelko, from your experience, what are the symptoms that your patients are telling you most affect their lives? The physical symptoms they have might be very different, different for each person, like we already heard from Natalie. So some have more like the, just the tingling, but others may have very severe pain and muscle spasms. They suffer a lot. They can't really work or they, they move, moving is, is very difficult. In addition to these symptoms, some have more like cognitive symptoms. They, have, they can't concentrate. Uh, they can't organize their life. They have difficulties to, to have several dates on a day. So it, for, for them, uh, these um, symptoms are much more severe than the physical symptoms. Natalie, tell me a bit about the other thing that seems to really trouble people with hyperpara, the concentration problems. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, concentration would become a real issue. Um, I actually have um, memory issues um, and these memory issues make me feel quite bad because um, it is very tiring for me to concentrate what on what I'm being told. So after a period of time and in the evening, it is even harder. And even if I try to desperately remember what I am being told and I keep telling myself, you must remember, you must remember, I still forget most of the time. And obviously it means that people think that I am actually not listening to them as I keep on forgetting what they have told me. My life uh, is very much like a dream that seems to fade away in time. So it's not fun, but there's nothing much I can do about it. Professor Sigelko, when you see patients, do they describe those sorts of symptoms as being there constantly or do they experience something that's very fluctuating? Actually, I think very often they have, they, they report the same symptom very often. So what we would try is we would try to listen to the symptom, we try to change the symptom, we try to find out what is the reason this might be the values, uh, the, the serum values. It may be, might be also other things which influence their daily life and influence the symptoms of the hyperparathyroidism. So we have different things we have to look at. And we try to solve their problems and not to 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 just um, 
um, listen to them to the same symptoms all the time. However, what sometimes we can't lose, we, we can't solve the problem. For example, the loss of concentration and the loss of of uh, organizational skills. So Natalie, are there any particular triggers for these symptoms or is there a pattern to them or, or what? Yeah, the, so the most common trigger with me seems to just be doing too much. If I do too much for a few days uh, and I, when I say too much, it's alas far less than what a normal person does on a normal day, then I will be just too exhausted and I will start feeling the anxiety grow tingling and irritability. So then I can start having problems with my heart rate that seems to drop and I become emotionally unstable. And that's when my partner needs to be careful as any extra emotional stress then can be quite bad and my calcium as my calcium is already too low. Um, other things that trigger are like talking for a long time, working um, in meetings, being in a crowd, in large shopping malls. Um, these all tire me very quickly as well. Professor Sigelko, what sort of symptoms are patients describing to you generally when they come for a consultation? The symptoms they describe are very often the symptoms they experience, for example, the last two or three days. Um, it's the situation. There is not much time in, the, in probably in the in doing the consultation, or that is not that much time. So they try to concentrate, and they try. And they and they just tell me the main symptoms. So what I do not get from them is um, probably um, the symptoms they had like four weeks ago, or six weeks ago, or three months ago. So because they probably also forget about them. We developed um, a, um, a questionnaire for the patient and the questionnaire is very helpful to have like the symptoms of the last four weeks. Um, what, it's very well known that, that you can capture the, the symptoms for the last four weeks, but this does not help to have like f f five months when you saw them at the last time. So for this, um, perhaps diaries would be helpful. We know this from other diseases. So diaries would mean that the patient takes them home and can document the problems, the medication, uh, different situations. So this would be helpful for the patient. The patient can bring then the di diary to, um, to the appointment with the doctor and then they can look them through and then they could much better realize what happened during the last time. And then the questionnaire could help like to try to add to the actual situation, to try to more or less see if it gets better or worse or to have like a graduation of symptoms would be also helpful. So Natalie, when you visit your endocrinologist or any other health professional that you're involved with, do you write down your symptoms so that you can share them with them? Or, you know, how often are your appointments? Because I, uh, I imagine that these things kind of change from day to day. So it must be difficult when you go in to say exactly what your symptoms are at that moment and what they have been. At first, I would try to explain to them uh, when I was first diagnosed with hypoparathyroidism. But after having heard that I was suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome or having heard that why see a nephrologist, you can't have kidney stones with hypoparathyroidism or just having heard, oh, you're tired, that's because you're depressed. So that's really interesting, Natalie. They, they, it, it, it suggests that they just don't have enough experience of hyperpara and what they're trying to do all the time is think of, as you say, the common things that might be causing your uh, symptoms, not the actual thing. Yes, Yes, that 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 is uh, that's what I have experienced. However, today I have um, 
two wonderful um, doctors. So my endocrinologist, she is that I have today. She's great um, to work with, um, and she we really work together on finding solutions. And uh, my GP. Um, she um, doesn't know anything about hypoparathyroidism, but she's um, always ready to listen. She believes me when I um, explain to her what I'm going through. And uh, she always tries to help me um, and without judging me. And that's, that's something very important. We've talked a bit about the symptoms that most patients will experience. But then there are also severe episodes which result in having to go to the emergency room. Tell me a bit more about those. Yes, this is very important. So we have, yes, we have patients who have to go to the emergency room and some patients have these problems. Some patients never experience these problems. We have two different forms, for example. You can have hypocalcemia or you can have problems with hypercalcemia. For example, hypocalcemia, you can get for example, if you have a gastrointestinal disease and uh, you can't ke- take uh, your medication or you can't keep can't because due to diarrhea or vomiting you can't uh, you can't use your medication, then your calcium level go- goes down and then you can re- get like a tetany or we call a tetany. So you get really low calcium levels. You can get spasms. It can be so severe that you can't breathe anymore, that you can't talk anymore, that you can't really move and do anything about it. So this is a very severe episode and very often this is resulted like in really emergency situation and then you have to go to hospital and to get intravenous calcium. Um, this also can, you can get seizures in, 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 this, uh, in this situation. So the other situation and which is more difficult to um, realize for the patient and perhaps also for the doctors is the phases of hypercalcemia. Hypercalcemia is v- often get more in the summer. There are two main reasons. In the older patients, they some, uh, sometimes they not drink enough. Then uh, the kidney function decreases because of there's not, not enough uh, fluid intake. And then calcium goes up. And this high calcium, again, influences the kidney. The kidney gets worse. This is one point. Another point is that the, a lot of sun on your skin makes the preform of vitamin D, more preform of vitamin D. And this activates more vitamin D and calcium goes up. But these are the main two um, areas where you have like also emergency uh, situations and where it's also the risk for long-term problems. What you're describing here is really a, a disease that affects many, many different aspects of someone's life. But there is also a big emotional impact of this condition, which is not just on the individual, but on their family, their relationships, the way that they have to adapt and cope with their disease. What's the emotional impact that you see affecting your patients? What we know by now, we have to say about the emotional impact is that um, they have, they have, a lot of them have uh, depression and a form of uh, anxiety, what influences their lives and perhaps they're also part of their Cognitive um, symptoms they lead to the to the difference in in the life situation, uh, with the relationship with their partners and with their family and with their work life situation. So we don't really know why they have this uh, emotional problems in the situation with hyperparathyroidism. What we realize is that, or what my experience is, they have le- less self confidence. They can't inter. They are socially not as interactive 
because perhaps they feel it's too much or because what we heard from before that they are tired. Perhaps it's also one point of, of the situation. So if, if we now think about quality of life in these patients, um, what we learned is that there's a clear, clear decrease in quality of life, which we have to take seriously. Natalie, you said that your hyperparathyroidism came on very suddenly. How did this affect your family and, and your relationships? Hyperparathyroidism affected my entire body and my entire life. And um, when I came bo- home, back home after surgery, I was no longer the same person as before the surgery. I could no longer cook meals. Um, grocery shopping was a nightmare. And um, I put all I had in taking care of my kids. Um, and I did the best I could. But even then, I could no longer drive them to their friends as they needed, pick them up late um, at parties. And I did try to do the most I could, but at what expense on my body. So how did your husband cope? Oh, my husband. He had a very hard time coping with this. And um, as I was this entirely new person, um, uh, tensions got worse and worse with my husband. My husband uh, basically asked uh, for us to separate six months after surgery, explaining to me that um, it would force me to get a grip on myself and uh, that um, he was tired because he had to take care of everything now and he needed to rest. And I had no idea how I was going to get through all of this and how I was actually going to financially survive, be able to take care of my children. Um, This was and is still the darkest moment of my entire life. I mean, you had children. How little were they at the time? And how did they cope? How how do they cope now? So my children, they were around 9 and um, 12 when I was first diagnosed. And uh, they coped as well as they could. It obviously affected my son in some way as um, this, at that time, that's when he decided he wanted to be a doctor. Ever since that time, he decided that that's what he wanted to do. And um, today he's actually in medical school um, in Canada. So he really worked very hard to manage to get in there. Um, My daughter took it a lot better. Uh, She was younger and... uh, She doesn't have the same personality, uh, so she is a very, very positive person as well. And I don't know, I think she, being the second, uh, most of the weight was on my son's shoulders. They turned out really well considering the situation, and I am so sorry um, for what this caused them, uh, because it obviously was a very difficult moment for them as well. Tell me a bit more about the patient support networks uh, where you get to talk to other people with hyperpara. Okay, so the networks, um, it's uh, a Facebook group, for example, where um, I can exchange. Uh, if I have a symptom, I can I can go on there and I can uh, say, look, I'm having this, I'm not feeling great um, and then others will come and tell me, oh, don't worry, I have this all the time. Um, it, 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 it's normal. In a way, it saves us. It makes us feel understood. And feeling understood is really important. We've just heard there from Natalie the impact that this disease has on relationships. But in your experience, do people 
talk about those kind of relationship problems when they come in for a consultation with their specialist? The situation what Natalie just told us is very often not discussed in the specialist practice. Perhaps she would discuss it with a primary care physician. But I don't think in the time a specialist has, she would talk about her personal relationship. Or if they don't know, they don't ask what, or they know it, but they don't put it in, in uh, they don't associate it with hyperparathyroidism. They just think, okay, I mean, the divorces or separation is, is very often. So why why associate it with the, with the disease? So I guess if, when we learn more about it and we realize more that there is um, these emotional problems, these uh, these experiments, and then we perhaps can help more to 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 stabilize the situations and the relationships. And I think with if partners know more about the disease and and they know, okay, my partner has really a disease and is just not not just that they don't feel well or that they don't want, so that that this disease taken seriously, perhaps we can also help them in their relationships. You've talked there about you know, helping uh, partners perhaps to understand more about the condition. But is there any other support that patients could be given to help them with the changes in their relationship or family life? I think because we did not know up to now that these problems are very severe, we have not really tools uh, by hand to to use them right now exactly. So what we could think about is if we learn that they can't organize their personal lives, perhaps we could help them by by that they get help in, in the household, just simple things or once or twice a week, things like that perhaps for organization. I think what is important, that's what I said already, that the acceptance of the disease is very important so that they know, okay, this is an accepted disease. This is what I think would help them on their relationship. That's very important. And another point is what is very important would be to have them more self-management of their disease. So what we have in other diseases, for example, in diabetes, they can adapt their insulin dose and they know how to do it. This is far away from what we do in hyperparathyroidism. So we would need something where they can like measure their calcium values and they know oh, I'm too low or too high and they can try and learn how to adapt their dose. And I think this would be a, 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 a huge advantage for the patients also. Natalie, you've been on a very long and difficult journey with hyperparathyroidism. Looking back at that time, what are the kind of support mechanisms that would have really helped you on that journey, either in terms of dealing with your physical symptoms or more broadly with the emotional side? Awareness. Awareness is really um, what I found was lacking um, when I was diagnosed with hyperparathyroidism. I found that the medical community uh, didn't know enough about um, our symptoms and how it had uh, how it could affect the quality of life um, and what are the consequences of a lack of PDH on our body so I, f- I found if the doctors I went to see if they had been able to explain to my husband at the time to my children um, if uh, they had better been, um, if a doctor had explained to them why I was tired, if a doctor had been able to tell them, well, it's normal that she's on this physical and emotional roller coaster, it's a consequence of hypoparathyroidism, um, maybe my marriage wouldn't have uh, broken, uh, maybe. 
maybe if at work this was a known condition, if people were able to understand it, maybe that my manager would have been able to understand that, yes, I just was really trying as hard as I could, but I just couldn't because of my medical condition and I wouldn't have been rated insufficient. I wouldn't have feared losing my job and that period of my life would have been much easier. So yeah, awareness and patient support groups are me the two essential things that we need um, for people suffering with hypoparathyroidism. We've come to the end of our time together and I wanted first of all to say thank you to you, Natalie. It can be really hard to talk as openly as you have. But actually, I know what you've told us about the burden of your hyperpower, both physical and emotional, will have been immensely helpful to both professionals and other patients and their families. And thank you to Dr. Sigilkov for also focusing on these aspects of the disease, chronic hypoparathyroidism. Look out for our next podcast in our Hyperparra Exchange series.